0: I'm going to, I'm going to start reading books. Right. I mean, like those are the types of challenges, at least for me and for the people that I've worked with that I think can make a massive difference, whatever the challenge is, whether or not it's a pandemic or whether or not it's an injury, um, you know, where it's like, Oh, I, I, I've suffered a bad injury. I can't be on the bike. Well, what else can you do during that time? And, um, and I think that there's a lot of, uh, I think those, the, the, the opportunity in those scenarios is the same. Um, so. Yeah. No,
1: no, and, and, just for my own mental, and since I'm not working, I feel like uh, once again I want to be in trouble with the dishes thing. So I've been trying to do things that um, help me. Uh, actually, read. I'm physically reading books. Yeah. Uh, you know, one on Kindle, one an actual book. I recommended and got in trouble last week that people read uh, Anne Frank's book, but that was more of a sarcastic uh, situation. Well, I'll, I'll get. In, I'll talk to that offline.
0: <laughs> yeah, and doing a little little bit of my background research on you as a podcast host, I did come across a little <laughs> of that controversy, and I just it made me. You know, I've deleted all of my, even my business social media accounts.
1: Welcome everybody to the Between Two Wheels podcast. This is Tyler Yonke on today's show. We're continuing our slog through the pandemic by doing some interviews. And today we have a wonderful, exceptional cycling coach, friend, mentor, teammate, Nate Dunn. I I just want to say real quick, Nate Dunn, coach Dunn. A few years ago, I had taken off time from cycling I was getting fat, I was riding my golf cart, eating a lot, and you and I started up conversations and you got me back into cycling. And I will say, it's probably been the absolute best eight years of my life uh, due to the fact that I have got back into cycling. Welcome to the show once again, Nate Dunn, how you doing? And what do you want to say about your involvement in my life back in cycling?
0: Yeah, well, I just, I always remember our, so for those of you that don't know, Tyler and I are, Tyler and I are, are related through marriage. So we would interface at family gatherings. Right. And um, yeah, so, you know, you, you were always an interesting conversation to have. You're the only one that really cared <laughs> cared anything about cycling. Everyone else would, you know, would uh, entertain those conversations. But um, so, yeah, I mean, I think we had similar we probably had similar uh, experiences at different points where I was pretty new to cycling and I was like, this is just amazing. And the people that I'm meeting and the experience of racing and you know, I've been involved in sport my whole life and yet I've never done anything like racing a bike. It's just the coolest thing ever. And it's totally changed my life. So it was so much fun to engage in those conversations with you. And then at the same time, you know, it was like, Hey, you need to start riding again, man. Like you, you can, you know how to ride a bike. Like we got a small group of us that are, that are just starting up something new. It's going to be fun. And and you should totally start riding with us. Um, so, yeah, I remember. I remember your first cat five ish, cat five, cat four. I don't remember where where you came back right. at, but um, but yeah, I remember telling guys. I think Kurt was there, handful of other guys, and I'm like, Tyler can ride a bike. I'm like, look at this guy. He's he, he's you know, and he might have been pushing um, pushing 200 then, <laughs> or maybe it, it maybe was, it was less than. But
1: it was like within the but, 170. But I can still see it.
0: I can still see right. it. That's the talent of a coach. I can see through that. <laughs> So,
1: uh, well, what was funny is I had, that was, um, cycle abrasion late yeah. in the year and I had, um, totally ripped, uh, torn my Achilles heel, um, in February of that year. So I had amended, I was starting to come back and, and do some writing. And so, yeah, I, I did a one day license cap five, which was probably a little sketchy. And then, um, yeah. uh, we made our way up just saying with your help and whatnot, I'm a cat one again. So yeah, just well, just throwing that out there. Yeah. Who cares? Um, so Nate Dunn, data-driven athlete, uh, coach, owner, everything else. Uh, how is the how is the pandemic treating you and your fam? Just on a personal sp- uh, spectrum, and then um, we'll talk about the business side of it too. But yeah. um, for those of you that don't know, Nate had a uh, liver transplant a few years ago, and I'm sure that is uh, complicated. Uh, your immune system. So I'm sure you have a little bit different yeah. feeling about all of this than than a few others. But uh, tell us how it's going. Two small kids trapped yeah. in a house.
0: Yeah. So I mean, obviously, this topic is massive. <clears throat> it's fun to talk to you just because I'm. You know, I'm. I'm I would consider myself to be kind of a. Um, more of on the melancholy, solitary side, <laughs> but you know, like there's that, and then there's like living through a pandemic. Um, but I, I would say, I would say uh, along those lines, our family is probably pretty well positioned for something like this. You know, I work from home. Um, our Our family life is really small and local, um, so we are accustomed to spending a lot of time together. <clears throat> My wife works as a nurse, so there's no concern about her job security. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, but like you mentioned, like we have unique risks in our family as every family does, but, you know, our family has unique risks that, um, that make, have made this different to us. And like you mentioned, um, you know, anyone that has had an organ transplant, you know, they take immunosuppression therapy. So, you know, by nature of having an organ transplant, you are immunocompromised, uh, you know, for the rest of your life. Um, and so then, you know, that, in addition to my wife working in a hospital setting, you know, being in this, being in this, so that, you know, there's that has influenced our experience of a lot of this um and at the same time we're just like everybody else where it's just like you you wake up and it's groundhog day and you're like you know i think we're we're, again i think like in many ways we're well positioned for this i'm as a coach i love structure i love discipline i love routine it's what my life is like fueled on and i think those if you didn't have those types of routines in your life then probably a lot of people have have been experiencing the benefit of that. I, I know for us and our family, it's like the only way for us to just kind of continue to move forward. It's like you know we get up with the kids. If my wife's at work, we have breakfast. Uh, we do some schooling for her. We have we do an hour of exercise, uh, mostly riding bikes, um, and then we come back. We have, so right, we have we have a set routine, and that's been really um, you know that's been like that's been our bread and butter. Um, you know, kind of to to.
1: I just want to say, yeah. it's so interesting. You say um, structure that you need structure and it's great for you and that this has probably been good for others who are in the situation who would need structure. But, um, and, and I, I would somewhat agree, but you've got to admit there's people out there that this has not been good for them because they don't understand the need for structure and they're yeah. not using structure. So this is actually maybe more of a torment. I am in I can. I'm working from home. My wife always works from home. Yeah, we have the kids. I don't care about necessarily. This is horrible. People, uh, yeah. so <laughs> going out. I've got my support staff here. Yeah. Um, family wise. So I'm building a chicken coop. I'm doing my solo rides. Yeah. Um, life's not that bad. I yeah, mean, I, I I want to put that in a very small microcosm as far as like some of the mental health. Uh, you take my business side of it. Um, that's not necessarily a, a wonderful situation. Yeah. But um, what about those people that? don't have the, the structured and that maybe listen to this going a little crazy. What can you give them as advice for, for trying to take that task on?
0: Yeah. Well, that's been the wild thing. Is it like, you know, I know you're a podcast listener and I, I consume a ton of podcasts. Those habits have had to change where some of the podcasts I enjoy most, like if we're going to talk about COVID all day, like I'm out, I'm not tuning in your podcast, right? right? Like, like I, I'm living it as is everyone else in the world. Like right. I don't need, you know, like, so, um, But I think that, I think that in terms of that's been what's interesting is that the experience of people is so varied. Like for those of us, maybe that we've, we're accustomed to working from home. We're kind of solitary. Maybe our life was pretty small and it wasn't a life of travel or of of that kind of stuff. This, this isn't huge. And then on the other hand, you have people who, and my wife has been working on the end of this. Uh, people who are living in abusive. Uh, my wife works in, in 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 pediatrics. So people who are living in abusive uh, relationships, and then you have this amping up the pressure of maybe relationships that are right. <clears throat> challenging or kids that are in abusive relationships. Um, it's it's in. I mean, and obviously that branches off into the larger implications of how we try and manage this, right? About not just the health consequences, but the consequences of uh, you know that different people are feeling differently. So I, again, I, I would, I would, I would cloak all of this within like, in many ways I come from a privileged perspective of like I discipline and focus and structure is something that I just liked. I was lucky enough to kind of like that. And so this, this has been um, a, a chance to kind of, I, it's like I've been training for that. Right. <laughs> right. So, uh, but, but what I would say is that um, you know, for other people, <clears throat> I think that you know, like anything else, you can view periods like this as kind of moments where you kind of go off the rails, and you have like a tub of ice cream, uh, you know, in the freezer, or you can view it as an opportunity to kind of revamp systems. And um, and and again, I realize that part of that is kind of a privileged perspective to even maybe have the ability to think about it in those terms. But I know for me, that's and for our family, looking where there is opportunity um, is. I I think we, our, our, our life as a family and my health challenges have kind of imbued that perspective in our family. And that has not changed during this, you know? So,
1: so I would, I would even say, um, I don't know, maybe I don't understand what you mean by privilege, but, um, you're as a coach, I mean, I think you have not some obligations, but this is part of what people look for, right? Is, um, give me some ideas of what to do. And so you've got this down And, and look, I mean, people that can watch this, they can look and they can say, oh, you know, he's he looks like he's fit. He looks like he could yeah. be a cyclist who wants to take direction from someone who um, is telling them how to be orderly in their life, but isn't orderly. You know, wants to be fit, but isn't fit. And those are small aspects. I know you can be a great coach and stuff yeah. without that. But I, I think the understanding and and um, you may maybe you have some more obstacles of, of recognizing people who can't get there. Um, or aren't there already. And so, but, and maybe speak to that. Um. So, so
0: I'll give you, I'll give you two specific examples, one from kind of home life and then one from, from, from sporting life. <clears throat> so when I look at, when I look at something like this, I think, first of all, I hear people talking about how, Oh my God, I've made it through a hundred shows on Netflix, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> and I'm thinking, what do you, you could learn a language with that amount of time, right? You, over the course of three months, if you are, if you want to embrace discipline and you want to embrace a different way of doing things, you could shed thirty pounds in a Maybe healthy manner. Maybe they're watching manner.
1: novellas, though the, the <laughs> Spanish language yeah. soap operas. Anyway, right. so, sorry, thirty so, pounds.
0: So, Okay. So, so I think from that angle, like even from kind of a cycling performance perspective and right. what I've been talking about with my athletes is like, what is your project right now? If racing is done, um, and, and maybe that's a different topic, you know, but I think it's probably unlikely that like, you know, USA cycling sanctioned races come back this year. If it's done, um, that doesn't have to signal the end of your progress, right? You can shift your focus, um, to many different projects or systems in your, in your life that will, that you could make a strong case for will actually contribute, uh, you know, to a greater degree to your progress when things rebound next year or, you know, whenever, whenever they come back around. So I think that that's one angle from the training perspective is to say, there are a lot of different things to work on as a cyclist. And the actual training part is just one of them, right? How do you even get to the place where you can, um, where you can execute, let's say for a lot of people, what might be a big week, maybe 12 hours, 15 hours a week. There's a lot of stuff that goes into just being able to do that in terms of managing your time, in terms of, uh, you know, maybe having a bike that is functioning well and a bike space that is well organized and, um, and, and, and that, that you can simply get on your bike and go, right. There's a lot of stuff that goes into just a lot of systems that go into just making that a reality. So there's a whole lot of, uh, you know, projects that, that one could take on, uh, that maybe aren't, you know, directly related to, you know, doing, uh, preparing for a race or, or, or whatnot. So I would say that's one side. On the other side of it, like on the home side, and this is something that I've been, um, working on myself is that I, my whole life, I have hated doing dishes, right? Probably like most people, you know, I hate doing right. dishes. Now that has come into direct conflict with the fact that I'm married to a woman who loves cooking. I mean, cooking is life. So when she cooks, it's not like when I cook food. It, the kitchen blows up. There's stuff on the floor. There's chopped vegetables everywhere. There's like five different bowls that need to be cleaned, blah, blah, blah. So first, it, So, so I, I, I don't like cleaning dishes. We've established that, right? So I've kind of like at the beginning of this whole pandemic thing, I, I, had, this, I had this kind of vision in my mind. And I said, I don't know what this is going to look like for my wife as a nurse, Going into the hospital every day. We still All don't right. know what that, what that might look like. But here's the deal. When she walks through after a 12 hour day, the kitchen is going to be, it's not going to be clean. It's going to be spectacular. Like it's going to make a visual impact when she walks through the doors and the kids are bathed and they're ready to roll. They're ready to go to bed. And she walks in and the kitchen is spotless. That's my project. Like I can do that.
1: Right. There are, are other using lighting to make sure this is a, a visible t- like, you know,
0: well, no, but I mean, it's like, you know, cause probably all men go through this. It's like, there's right. kind of cleaning the kitchen
1: Dude.
0: where there's still crumbs and like stuff. And then there's like, no, like I got in the floor, all the little sticky spots, like the hardwood looks perfect. All the counters are clean. It's dialed. Right. So that's just another example. I feel like of, I can change my relationship to, uh, to how I view different types of tasks. And that the, the ability to do that, the opportunity to do that, um, I think is easier when the rest of life is kind of chaotic. It's, 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 it's helpful. It's been helpful for me to say, okay, I can't do this. I can't ride with my friends, all these other outlets that I might, that might kind of feed me as a person. Um, I can actually feel really, I can feel a lot of pride in how I clean the kitchen
1: and, and that's a project. That's a project that I can do. So, um, so let me make a. I want to make a comment about that, because um, so I I absolutely adore my wife and um, we. it's been somewhat uh, enjoyable. Like I, I. OK, two things real quick. Um, you talked about abuse and, and how that thing is going. So the courts are pretty much closed. I do family law. Um, one of the things I also do with that is domestic violence restraining orders. And we had a trial set and the trials are not going except for uh, Placer County um, two weeks ago, a week and a half ago. We had a trial. And so it went on and, you know, those kind of things are happening. And um, it was a three day trial. It was all fun. Uh, You know, as enjoyable as those things go. Uh, But my wife said to me, she's like, oh, kind of it was you leaving the house, it was uh, I missed you. You know, so the point is there's this good connection. And yeah, I was like, I've been here, you know, 24 seven. It's been fun. But we've had one nasty little blow up and it was me putting a dish. The dishwasher was was full. I mean, it was being run. Um, and I put a dish on the left side or didn't do something. It was just, I was going to come back and do it. And it's center mental, um, because it, she's had, you know, it's this buildup and she, it's exactly your situation. She cooks all the time. She's used to being home. Yeah. So she sends everyone off to work and now everyone's here. And I screwed up the one dish thing. Um, so she can't listen to this podcast <laughs> because I don't want her to get any ideas about what that, but it's interesting how, um, routines, you know, you talk about routines and, and that was her routine of that, that one little thing that went right. So what I did for that was, and I, I've made some offhand comments here. Um, I decided to, uh, build a chicken. Well, she wanted me to, and the other one's dying out a chicken coop. And it is the effing Trump tower of I, chicken coops. I, saw I, the I can't, picture. I mean, it's got full on shingles. Yeah. It's uh, it's out of control, yeah. <laughs> but it's done. Okay. You now could it's up to in her it. to paint it. Yeah. And I can't tell you the man cred I have with her right now. Yeah. It's it's over the top. Yeah, um, so it's worth it. And and here I think she told wanted me to do this just to see me fail. I and <laughs> <you know>, I <laughs> expected to. Yeah, but um, you know, and I did a few times along the way. Uh, any anything you want to yeah, mention so, about that before? I go? So
0: so I, I again I would just say to summarize that like I I think it's I like looking at challenges as projects. And 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 when I when I say that that's a privileged position, I mean like that's not anything I've done to be great. It's something that was baked into my genes, and, right, and right. it's something that I like. And obviously that's why I'm But you
1: a had to take the, the, you had to take the, and, and I'll let you get back here. Yeah. You had to take the kitchen thing as a, as a mental, like, Hey, this is important and almost recognize yes. it. It's like, I've told my son about birthday Christmas gifts. Think of, try to remember when someone says, Oh, I like that as, um, a project to, I'm going to put it in my head for, or write it down for something to buy them later rather than just, Oh, that's nice that they'd like it. Yeah. Anyway, you had to mentally. Yeah.
0: So I, I think like either, either in the terms of, you know, cycling and, and training or in the terms of like domestic duties or anything like that, like we, we are afforded these choices of like, am I going to, and I don't even have the time. My wife and I, we don't, with two young kids, we don't even have the time to spend watching Netflix. So maybe again, I, I, that's not a that's not a temptation that 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 we even have you know but but if 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 those are your choices if your choices are i'm gonna i'm gonna you know zip through like a 100 shows on netflix during this time or i'm going to begin to uh begin to try and invest in a habit of reading right like nobody reads books anymore um and maybe that's been something that's been interesting or that you've wanted to do and it's like I'm going to, I'm going to start reading books. Right. I mean, like those are the types of challenges, at least for me and for the people that I've worked with that I think can make a massive difference, whatever the challenge is, whether or not it's a pandemic or whether or not it's an injury, um, you know, where it's like, Oh, I, I, I've suffered a bad injury. I can't be on the bike. Well, what else can you do during that time? And, um, and I think that there's a lot of, uh, I think those, the, the, the opportunity in those scenarios is the same. Um, so
1: yeah. No, no, and And, just from my own mental, since I'm not working, I feel like, uh, once again, I don't want to be in trouble with the dishes thing. So I've been trying to do things that um, help me uh, actually read. I'm physically reading books, yeah. uh, you know, one on Kindle, one an actual book. I recommended and got in trouble last week that people read uh, Anne Frank's book. But that was more of a sarcastic um, situation. Well, I'll, I'll get and, I'll talk to that offline. Of
0: <laughs> Yeah. And doing a little a little bit of my background research on you as a podcast host. I did come across a little <laughs> of that controversy. And I just it made me. Uh, you know, I've deleted all of my, even my business social media accounts.
1: <clears throat> and, and I want to talk about that. You want to lead into that with this?
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. W- yeah. If you, if that's, what's next on tap, we can, we can jump into it.
1: Whatever. Yeah. Like I've had a list.
0: Yeah. So, so basically, um, I've, the more reading that I've done, like the, you know, the last 12 months I've, I've been, uh, working on a book and I've, I've been just been reading probably the last two years, uh, like reading has just been my, um, it's been a rediscovery, not even a rediscovery. It's a discovery because you go through school and like, it's not like you're ever really reading things that you enjoy. And then you enter, you know, kind of the professional workplace. And it's not like you don't, and then in, in that transition of my life, right, the internet happened and YouTube happened and all of those things create, you know, they, they eliminate the friction to be entertained and the act of reading a book is probably the most there's the most friction there right it's hard to get there and when you get out of that habit it's difficult to do and right. uh, so anyways a couple years ago when i kind of started getting into that habit and then i just it was like once you kind of start um getting on that train it's just like exercise it's like when you improve your cardiovascular fitness it feels different to go on a long a long bike ride and when you am, kind of get back into that routine of actually reading um you operate on a different level cognitively um and and so So anyways, in some of the reading that I was doing, um, you know, one of the topics that is of most, uh, most of interest to me is kind of this intersection of technology and how that impacts our focus and our ability to, to be disciplined and to achieve goals. And, you know, one of those kind of big topics, obviously, and the other side of that too, I would say is the fact that we have two young kids and like, you know, how do you, uh, what are the choices that you make about screen time with your kids? And, and so my wife and I have been having these conversations. I've been reading these books and just thinking a lot about social media. And then of course, there's the larger kind of cultural impact of social media and its impact on kind of its you know, polarization of our country and the, and the rest of the world. And, and so anyways, from a business perspective, when you just get down to brass tacks, the pitch that is made to every business person is you've gotta be there, right? Like you've gotta have a Facebook account. You've gotta have an Instagram account. This is the place that you can connect with people that care about your business. And this is the place, really, that you can uh, get free exposure and and um, and connect with with people in a way that is going to improve your business, right? So I, I was reluctant at first. Um, I kind of got on board a little bit, but I was never any good at it. I didn't want to do it. It was never something, um, you know, that I was really interested in. And finally, you know, the more that I read, I was like, is it possible to just say, no, I'm just not going to do that, right? Like I'm going to have, I'm going to try and kind of try try a different route where if people want to access what I'm writing or if people want to, you know, access, um, they can go to the website or they can sign up for a newsletter and it's, you know, it operates completely outside kind of the social media thing. And again, I, I felt really reluctant to do that. Um, Facebook and Instagram as well, the engine that drives their business, um, uh, i say, yeah, well, and their business pitch is, is constantly even initiating uh, fake notifications for you to click on, right? It's, you know, they, they are throwing everything at you as a business owner to say, you have got to get on this hamster wheel if you really want to have success in terms of social media. And for some businesses, that might work for them and that works with how they think. But for me, it was difficult for me to make any case that investing time in social media was anything but an impediment to me being a better coach. I, I, there's no way you can sit down and say, you know, Hey, it really matters if you're on social media and you're engaging with your athletes and you're liking their pictures. I don't buy that. I don't
1: buy that at all. Like I, I just, what about, what about the business uh, acquisition of, of uh, actually business and clients?
0: I think I'm sure I'm not a marketer and I'm sure there's smart marketers that would say you could earn more business. If you were really driving social media campaigns and, and you had your training tip Tuesday and your blah, 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 whatever. And you were just on that hamster wheel. Um, and I just finally came to a choice where I was like, I don't really care. Like if, if, if that, if that results in X amount less clients or X amount less money, I'm comfortable with that. Like I like the life better where I'm not tethered to social media. That's just for me. That's not a judgment call on how anybody else decides to engage with social media. So, in looking at your, you know, looking at your little interaction and I do still have a Twitter account. Um, I consume a lot. That's kind of my primary way of consuming uh, kind of getting updates on new academic research and academic researchers, but I don't engage yeah. in the platform. But even that, even even the restrictions that I put on myself with Twitter, you go in, you log in and then you see trending topics. And then you go into the wormhole. You go to the wormhole of clicking on something, and then it's just, especially right, you know, and then it's just, and right. then you're reading threads and 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 the and the the intensity of emotion and feelings, and all of a sudden, I'm loathing myself as my kids are sitting outside waiting to have a picnic lunch with me. I'm reading a bunch of garbage on Twitter. That is a total colossal waste of my time, and it's a waste of my personal time, and I'm. Uh, I'm convinced that it offers nothing in a business or in a coaching context. So that's my,
1: I, I, I I absolutely agree. And, um, you know, like for me personally on my business, I have, we have a a website and it's really splash page. There's nothing to it, but people need to be able to, um, sometimes I don't even meet my clients until I'm going to court and I'm like, here's my website. Here's a picture of me so we can find each other. (laughs) And, you know, you need contact and, and, you know, you look up other attorneys and and you got to have like a that. Um, I don't run, and this is probably bad even for maybe, maybe there's a difference here. I don't know. Maybe there's a marketing thing, but, um, when you do have a social media presence, such as Twitter, like I do, um, but you don't actively engage it very much. Is that worse than just like removing yourself or, or those people that are over, uh, you know, inundated with, with just doing stuff. So they're, they're really up there. I don't know. Personally. Um, you, you, the mental part of it is exactly right. We had a little, and actually, I'm going to talk to, um, Paul, um, I'm going to have a, I'm going to do a podcast with him just so we kind of talk some of yeah. this stuff out. Cause I think that would be helpful as well. But you know, he has a big following and says something online and it blows up and, and I, I don't actually give too much of a F about it. Yeah. So I'm just like, whatever. And there's, you know, people climbing on with, with their hate and, and stuff. And so be it. But, um, uh, so, so mentally though, that's, that's also at the time, I'm just kind of like easy and you know, let's go for a ride. So. Uh, it's really interesting that you've done that, um, especially the way that cycling is. Do you and have you seen any fallout? Let, let me ask you this: uh, This is kind of a, a a thing I've been wanting to say. Um, your business um, did the AB five? Did that affect coaching? Do you not have coaches with you now? Do you want to talk about any of that? Yeah, yeah. So that's another that's another really interesting one. Because because my point was going to be then hire someone to do. Yes all your social media where you personally, it's not on you yeah. and I thought maybe about that, that would be an option. I
0: thought about that option to go back to your point real quickly. So one of the books I had read, uh, um, it's called digital minimalism by Cal Newport. And he basically talks about how like, you know, the, the, his pitch is not that social media is bad or that you should avoid it. It's just to do a cost benefit analysis and to say, what yep. am I getting from social media? What am I not? And for you, you might be able to read some of that and you can kind of like insulate your feelings from it. I can't do that. Like I would, a Twitter comment or or, or like like like, it, it would it would it could very well occupy days of my life, right? And and, and
1: I, I'm not saying it hasn't. Yeah, uh, actually. Um, and and, and uh, my immediate reaction was I, I heard this from some really good troll that just does shit online on on Twitter, and he's like, um, you don't immediately react; you take some time back so yeah. that if you know your whole thing is just you know making fun or doing whatever, that it's done in that right kind of mindset. And so my thing was just, I, I started getting to this, but, um, just, uh, Hey, thank you. Let's, let's talk yeah. about it. And, and, but, but anyway, continue yeah. yeah. On.
0: Okay. Yeah. So, so AB five, so, you know, so AB five came out and obviously this is your wheelhouse working in law. And so if I, if I overstep anything,
1: it's, this is probably more your wheelhouse. Okay.
0: If I, if I, if I, I misstate anything, you can, you can let me know. But so, you know, I saw AB five coming a year and a half ago or whatever, and I'm reading it and I'm like. You got to be kidding me! Like this is—it's very obvious that this—you this, know—this legislation is going after the big boys. They're going after uh, Uber and DoorDash and you know, kind of this, right. this gig economy. That I think there are legitimate criticism criticisms there, and we're going to have to figure that out. I don't know how to do it, but whatever. It, it, there's a reasonable debate, and then there's the rest of us out there—musicians uh, or, or people that are working in small businesses—who um, have writers. What's that? Writers, yeah, exactly.
1: Writers, yeah, is a big one.
0: Yeah, content creators or people that are working in like a you know contract role for different websites, stuff right. like that. So it's very obvious that those are those are those are situations where there's no. Um, to me, it seems obvious that those are situations where there's no. Um, uh, there's no. Um, no one's being taken advantage of here. Right. Like, like there's no, there's no, so, so I'm looking at this and I'm thinking like, ah, this is not like, I see this coming, but um, this can't possibly, you know, apply to me. Well, you know, it passes, blah, blah, blah. I still kind of keep my head in the sand about it. And then I start talking with some other coaches and I hear about one of the largest coaching companies, um, maybe the biggest one in, in, in the U S and they've essentially switched all of their California coaches to hourly rates, right. To comply with this. And some other coaches who have decided to let go uh, the coaches that have been working with them under that independent contractor label, right? So, I'm looking. I'm looking at this, and then I'm and then I'm thinking to myself, it's very obvious that in this case, the question is, what is my willingness to accept risk on this, right? Like, and for me, and and this also goes into I think a larger shift in the coaching industry, um, where I think. Ab five, in addition to I think changes in the coaching industry, made it to where accepting that risk didn't make any sense to me. I, you know, I've worked for ten years, like on my coaching business. Um, it's you know, it's it's a part of how we support our family. It's I'm not a um, this isn't a side gig for me. You know, this is this is my full time job, and so to uh, to to risk that didn't make any sense for me. Um, so. Um, and that was, you know, that was after spending the last five years really investing heavily in the coaches that, um, you know, that worked for data, dri- worked with data driven athlete and uh, really enjoying working with them and enjoying kind of, uh, um, so, so yeah, we, um, we, um, I'm hoping that in the future there's a different type of coaching arrangement that, um, that, that might work. Um, but for now, um, I don't think, I don't see any way. That a coach working in California could legally comply with with AB five, unless they are hiring on a coach as an employee, and to do that, then what are you going to do? You're going to have them recording their hourly, you know, they you know, have them using an app, basically recording how many hours they work with a client, and then if that's the case, the expense is so high. There's no incentive for an independent right. contractor coach like that to work with somebody like me, right?
1: Right. So, I, I talked to a, a, a bike shop that um, I think you know as well. And um, they were saying, yeah, yeah it's, it's it's a problem for them because they had had, you know, I think people, mechanics were coming in and doing it as independent contractors. Yeah. And um, now this whole situation has changed kind of the, the bike business because they're blo- booming, but that still, it doesn't mean that you don't have projection and look you to fight it. The liability, it's similar to me as a small business owner. Um, well, you're going to go into an administration judge and you're going to fight it with no, yeah. it, the, the the fines would just end up next thing. You know, you're, you're looking for a job. Yeah. So that's, that's bummer for you. And and I think that's the unintended consequences. Like actually me, um, I think I'm exempt. So yeah. um, it's not a problem for that. But why me? Why not? Why not you? It's, it's the lobbying uh, groups without that, getting too. Yeah. Th- yes, clou- yes. You were not part of the transportation union, yeah. I think. So. Yeah. And,
0: and, you know, and I think it was dentists, doctors, they all kind of got their, you know, their, their protection. And again, for me, I can, I can look at that and I can say, man, I've spent like hundreds of hours trying to make this work and trying to kind of really enjoying the process of teaching other coaches and learning from them. Yeah. Um, so I can, I can spend my energy doing that, or I can say, all right here we go. Um, what, what's, what's next? Like how, how are we going to, so, so what my, what my kind of larger dream is over the next two years is to kind of have um, a coaching uh, consortium to where data-driven athlete also, um, kind of sells an educational product for coaches, um, to where, um, continued education and discussion about, um, you know, high level discussions about training topics and access to, um, to, to, to a workout library and, you know, that, that maybe we could provide something like that um, for coaches, um, in kind of a, in, in that, in that kind of form, as opposed to basically their, you know, me, them working as independent contracts for me. So, so that's something I'm really excited about, um, you know, in the next couple of years. And so we'll see if, see if
1: that works out. Okay. So maybe that transitions into the book thing. So you're, you're, you've been writing a book, right? Yeah and um, i i've read some of your excerpts that you've had out there uh, and I have some some stuff I kind of want to go through with uh, with uh, some of those, uh, but why don't you give us first an, an idea of what the the main um, scope of the book is, and do you have a title yeah. launch date are you are you doing self uh, publishing yeah
0: so that's a, that's another really good really good question so i um, I started working on kind of some of these ideas last July, and I pitched it to a couple different publishers and uh the the biggest one actually um got back to me and it was incredibly i'm so glad that i had these conversations because i don't know if i ever would have had the um I don't know if I ever would have been willing to invest the energy required to, to to go through with it. But anyway, she talked with me and her her basic thing was is that like we love, um, you know, one of the reasons why it's taken so long for us to get back to you is that your proposal was so good and we've taken it up kind of the chain and we're really excited about it. And uh, you know, we all agree that we've never really seen anything like this. Um, you know, kind of this combination of ideas. Um, and what it comes down to or how it was pitched to me, um, and the more that i've read is kind of like obviously the cycling the cycling book space isn't even a space right like like there's very few people that are buying cycling books which is you know if you're trying to make money selling books i don't think anybody would ever write a cycling book
1: right so, well, you've got to have, uh, you know, my, my days cheating or, yeah. you know, the Lance Armstrong. or da-da-da-da. Exactly, exactly.
0: So, so if a publisher is going to pick up your book, you have to have one of two things. You need to have, you know, a high profile name, like you mentioned, where, you know, you've written and you've got some you know, scandalous story to tell or or whatever, or you've raced at a high professional level or whatever.
1: Have you thought of putting your own photo (laughs) on the front cover with those short shorts he is doing?
0: I would be totally comfortable doing that. Yeah. I'm not, well,
1: uh, then you may get some clicks.
0: That, that wouldn't be, that that wouldn't be below me at all. Um, so the second thing that, that, the, the second way that people kind of edge into that, uh, you know, kind of publishing world is that you build a massive social media following. Right. And that is essentially well, that out. Exactly. So, so that's essentially your meal ticket where the publisher is looking at you and they're saying, I love your idea that, or maybe they don't, but the idea sounds good, but ultimately we're a venture capital firm, right? We're looking at your idea and we're saying, who can we sell this idea to in the event that we can't, you know, uh, connect those dots, like we're not going to invest money in your project. Um, you know, just because you look like you have good ideas. Right. So my pitch kind of back to them was, is it like, my relationship with social media is central to some of the biggest themes in this book, right? Like, and that was eventually where at that time I still had some social media, um, I still had a Facebook account and whatnot. Um, but then, you know, after that, I think that was one of the things where that kind of led me to um, to kind of cutting off those, those accounts Is is really feeling like it was, it's inconsistent for me to engage in social media while at the same time feeling like, if I had an honest conversation with my clients, I, I'd be pretty confident saying, I bet you'd be faster if you deleted your Facebook account. I mean, if you just, if you mm. wanted it to be that simple, I bet you would be faster if you spent less time looking at your friend's Strava rides. Like, like, I don't, I don't think I could, I can't right. say that and then be like, yeah, but I have a, so I, you know, I have my Facebook account, whatever. I, right, I didn't man. feel like I could. So that kind of comes back to kind of the, the publishing thing. So so the more I started looking into that and I and I listened and read a lot, read a handful of books, um, the other way is to kind of fund yourself, right? So the self-publishing space is one in which like you could either just, you know, push click or you could save your own money and you can hire an editor and a graphic designer and you can essentially, you know, raise your own capital um, to fund what is, um, you know, an equally professional publication. So that's what I'm planning on doing
1: are you doing any kind of um like a, a what is it uh, it's not GoFundMe, but it's similar for projects that uh you want to to do and you put out there and people can can you know donate and be kind of part of that publish you know documentary publishing you know uh, technique yeah product or whatever are you doing any of that
0: no i haven't i haven't thought about anything anything like that right now right now kind of the, the scale the scale of my project is you know just like training it's kind of recognizing because I've, I've I've enjoyed writing for a long time on my website, and it's something that I've realized that I, it's not just a marketing opportunity. It's something that I really really enjoy. Um, it's something I love doing, and I think I realized, too that like if you want to take on a bigger challenge, like let's say you have a goal to write you know a larger book, um, that that goal happens in the small habit of just saying every morning I'm going to write five hundred to a thousand words. Like, that's it. And then, whatever happens, whatever happens over the course of the two years, three years that I'm doing that, then I'll, I'll, we'll see, we'll see how that works out. So, that's essentially been kind of the scale of, of, of what I've been working on is saying, kind of moving through, um, you know, a lot of different topics and, and outlining those different topics and then kind of, you know, refining those as, those pieces as, as I kind of move along. And then, you know, hopefully within the next, year and a half. Like, I, I mean, I would love to, for me, the target date would be, um, you know, to have it finished by around July of next year. You know, that would be my,
1: so what's, what's the, 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 the topic of what are you looking? Hey, this is how you train periodic, or is it more of a, a theory book? What yeah. what's the, so
0: I would say, I would say, I think, I, I would say, I think where it's a little bit different is it's a combination of training philosophy and, uh, and training practice, right? So right now, when you look at, uh, training books, uh, generally, what you'll find is you'll find you know a book that maybe lays out you know uh, periodization schemes or has a bunch of sample workouts, and it kind of describes just specifically the training you know the, the training process. And I think that the more that I started thinking about this, and in working with athletes over the past ten years, and also kind of this shift of training knowledge really being um, restricted to coaches and maybe people who have a lot of experience in the sport, to now it's like the access to the training knowledge is available to anyone. Right? There's no. You could go right. on any cycling forum or, or or anywhere, and you know people are oftentimes discussing or you know debating the same training topics that maybe a really good coach is reading about in in a new research article. So, that access to information, you know, is no longer the challenge. I think the greater challenge now, whether or not you are uh, a coach or whether or not you are self-coached, the greater challenge is what do I do with all of that? Right. So I just came across this article about training technique XYZ. Okay. Fine. Like, what do I do with that? And, and, and I, and I see this and we've kind of had this challenge on our blog where over the past 10 years, I've written about, um, you know, different, different training techniques or supplements or, or, you know, kind of nutrition topics. And I think that's good. And I've enjoyed doing that. But when I step back and, and kind of look at that, it's like, I don't know if that's as useful anymore when, Everyone is sharing information. I think what's lacking is how do you tie that together to help you get faster in a sustainable way? And I think a good coach is doing that. They're the ones that are tying are uh, tying all that together. But that is, I think, increasingly the coaching market is going to shift from where coaches used to simply prescribe workouts for people. That market's gone. Right? Like Trainer Road, Zwift, whatever, you know, whatever other product that you might be using, they, they do that pretty well. Right? So I think where the challenge is going to be is how do you integrate prescribing workouts and then how do you integrate kind of uh, trying to assimilate and synthesize all of this information that, that most kind of enthusiasts or competitive cyclists are consuming? Right? They're listening to podcasts, they're going into forums, they're talking with their friends, they're inundated with all these different training topics. What do you do with that? Right. So that's kind of the challenge that the book is seeking to address is to say um, there is a system that you can both access, you can continue to access information, um, and there is a system where you can place that in its proper context um, rather than... Be running around trying everything, like like oh, there's this you know uh, there's this supplement and there's this supplement and oh these guys are doing these training intervals over here. These guys are doing that. Um, it, it's in that uh, it's in that scenario where people are not going to be at their best, and uh, and so that's kind of that, that's that's the larger um, that's the larger I'd say challenge the book is seeking to address. In addition to, I think what exacerbates this is the fact that we are more. Easily distracted than ever before, right? So how does that yeah. impact uh, an ability to try and excel in an activity that takes total focus, right? I mean, I find this—I yeah. find this myself. I'm like, I think I'd like to pull over and check my text messages, right? Like, I, just just the ability to do that, or I think I'd like to get on the internet for a little bit, right? Like, yeah. how do you how do you how do you manage that? How do you manage the fact that you know our culture and technology? makes it easy to be instantly distractible at all times. And yet those people that are really good on the bike are laser focused. Right.
1: Right. Right. Uh, so I want to ask you some, some specific coaching things here in a little bit, but I want to, I want to, I saw this excerpt you posted on your, um, on your blog and I'm going to read it, um, because you wrote it and I, and I loved it. and uh, And then I kind of want to have some some talk about it. Um, And it starts off here. You say the scientific revolution has not been a revolution of knowledge. But actually, you're making a quote here. It has been above all a revolution of ignorance. The great discovery that launched the scientific revolution was the discovery that humans do not know the answers to their most important questions. That was uh, Yuval Noah Harari. And then you go on to talk about Um, you know, evidence-based, science-based information. And um, I just want to read one bit bit here. Um, From silver bullet intervals to magic training supplements, our imagination is often the most significant obstacle to making long-term progress on a bike. An information filter built on science ensues ensures we stay focused on the fundamentals of training while deflecting, distracting, cycling hacks to the fringes of our training philosophy. And you, you go on to say more. What I've, I loved about part of this was, um, and I don't know what you know about uh, postmodernism, okay? Um, there's this whole theory of postmodernism, uh, Foucault, Derrida, and their original idea that there's non-truth and that nothing is, is set necessarily. And then there's been people that have written, and I think they've kind of They've kind of uh, taken that over just to not be what originally was meant to be. But if you take the scientific method and you approach that with kind of this postmodernism thing, you're always looking at um there's not not everything's done we've seen science in cycling change over and over and over and is that kind of what you're talking about here of don't rest on the laurels of this is the the known be all end all for cycling and let's keep looking at other methods that work cuz things change you know we talked about you you were talking about a few years ago with me you know um we're riding to burn fat and, you know, just the different ways of going about it. I mean, you know, eggs used to be bad, then they're good, yeah. butter, da 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 So what is, your, what is your take on this and am I misunderstanding some of that?
0: Yeah. <clears throat> well, my, my, um, what I'm talking about kind of in, in that section there is that <clears throat> science isn't perfect, right? And the scientific method isn't perfect. It's just the best that we have right? So if you want to look at kind of the arc of progress, you can, you can criticize science and you can say, yeah, but well, you know, maybe they got this wrong. Maybe they got this wrong, but, um, it's, it's that arc, um, that, uh, that, that provides our best guide. Now that doesn't mean that we totally, uh, you know, disregard, uh, you know, anecdote, or that doesn't, Disreg- that doesn't mean that we disregard maybe our own experience or our own feelings about, hey, I tried this and that, you know, maybe that, maybe that uh, doesn't mesh with, you know, kind of current practice or kind of what science is suggesting. So it doesn't mean that we, 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 uh, it doesn't mean that we, um, that, that we reject all those different kind of inputs into how we make choices. But it does mean that there are professionals, and I'm going to have a new excerpt um, that I'll have out in, in the next couple of days. Kind of the next section that we're getting into is kind of about identifying sources and kind of how to how to identify true expertise in cycling. But there are there are people that have invested, and of course this is the case over every discipline, from law to epidemiology to, you know, whatever it is, but there are people who have invested their whole life not just in trying to understand these topics, but in also also um working closely with other professionals to build consensus in their areas of of expertise. And it's not that those are the only voices that matter, but it is that there is a prioritization of information. And when there is a YouTube video from a, you know a cycling influencer, whoever might that be, talking about something, the fact that they have you know a million followers um, is not the same as a, a researcher who has been working for years at a high level of research, in addition to uh, maybe acting as uh, as an advisor to to some of the best world tour teams. Like those two sources of information are not the same, and I, I think that you would say, of course, right. But I don't think the rest of the cycling world um, is well, as comfortable yes. making that distinction, and I think they're more confused by that. And I think that the, the, you know the current age of the internet, to where you know there's 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 the flattening of of kind of expertise. I think that if you want to kind of simplify your training and you want to bring more efficiency and 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 for your training to be more impactful the guide is to follow that of uh, of expertise through the scientific method and so that's... so what I, yeah
1: well so what do you do about um like you know you have a blog you're going to have you know, say you're your uh coach like yourself and you've gone over many stages of of training things change right and maybe have i'm sure you've formed different opinions on certain things that you used to have to what you have now based on new information that comes about and i i, I think and just knowing you personally um, I think that's something you've done. Um, and as that is important, because I'm sure you have people that, you know, look, they make a scientific breakthrough and maybe that's their name stuck to it and they're an important person. Um, and then things change later on. It's not easy to then back off of those yeah. stances. How do you deal with that in, right. in this regard as well? Yeah, So I'm going
0: to be talking about that kind of in the next section. But like one of the hallmarks of expertise is that you're always seeking methods to prove yourself wrong. Right. Constantly. Right. So like true experts are, and this is really the process of research is that you're saying, let's figure out all the different ways where I might be wrong here right and they're constantly seeking to bounce their ideas off, you know, off other professionals, um off other labs. They're, you know, obviously that's the process of peer revision, right? Uh, or peer review where right. you know you're submitting your ideas um in in a perfect world, and obviously this doesn't happen all the time, but in a perfect world those methods are being combed over to look for any, you know, any errors or, you know, and and again, it's not that that process is perfect. Um but it is the it is the best that we've had. Um and it is the best that we have. And when it comes to when it comes to kind of uh, shaping a philosophy um, of simplicity, which is really kind of the other subtext of this book, is is, is about kind of forming um, a forming a, a philosophy of training simplicity that stands in stark contrast to the complexity that kind of popular um, cycling conversation, I think, is driving things. Right? If you can make the conversation about training so complex and so incomprehensible. Then you can be the one that kind of holds that, that, that baton to say, follow me, right? I have the answers. This is so complex. Just, just do this, right? Um, but I don't, I don't think that that's actually, like, if you look at people, um, who ride really, really well, I don't think they're training that way. Um, and, uh, and, and I think that, I think that science is what helps guide, um, kind of the paring down of all the non-essential items of our training. So that's kind of what, um, you know, and obviously I have a bent, I love science. Um, that's a part of my training. I wouldn't ever consider myself a cycling expert. I would consider myself very proficient at sourcing the best cycling expertise. That would be where I would kind of assess my level of expertise, not as a cycling expert, right? So it doesn't, again, it doesn't mean that the only people we listen to are researchers or, or people that are working in a lab, but it means that if someone is giving uh, giving advice, uh, that, you know, is playing a big role in your training, that it would make sense to understand the source of that advice.
1: And it's... Let me ask you let me ask you a quick question. Um, so there, let's say you have an idea and then you see some, there's some research out there that, that uh, just by the title and, and the synopsis might go down a, a route you are. Um, and then you see something that you're like, I don't believe that. And it's same type of research. Do you take the same, I mean, do you, are you able to strip your bias out and go and look for the the problematic in the one that you like or that you hope to i i mean i'm sure you're going to say yes well but um, are you aware of that i mean just a quick thing i don't know if you listened to my last podcast uh, the semper poro thing where this guy writes a story yeah. and and everyone's blowing up and the first thing i look at is there's quote marks everywhere and no one is attributed to this story yeah. no one and uh, so i'm immediately like it could be true it sounds you know deh. so i i, I talked to an insider and he's like dude it's like third true a third is like sensationalism a third is like you know disgruntled people so you have that anyway (laughs) yeah
0: so i I, so i would say that's another part of kind of the research process is that you very well could have somebody who you know is a is a phd level researcher um and uh, you know that might be one kind of data point in in offering perspective on on a training principle right but the larger the larger perspective i would say in the training space is looking for uh, consensus statements, right? So what you'll see across the board when it comes to, you know, research that really applies to, uh, that most heavily applies to cycling or other sports is you'll see, you know, groups of researchers that get together and they hammer this stuff out and then they develop, you know, consensus statements about, let's say, protein in cycling or carbohydrates in cycling or, um, you know, so so there'll be different topics like that. So I think that is really kind of the, um, that's the barometer that can help you um, assess maybe other studies or other perspectives. If a, if, if a perspective is so far outside the bounds of kind of what what current consensus is, it certainly doesn't mean that you ignore that person, but it means that there's a process of putting it in context and of prioritizing that. Or maybe you look at it and you say, man, those, those raise a lot of really valid points. And then if, if that's the case, then there's then a process to implement that in training and then to observe the results, right? But that's entirely different. Than right. than than saying ah oh, I saw you know I saw Hot Legs supplement blah 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 and so and so used it so I'm gonna spend forty bucks to try it out right like that's that that that's a different um that, that, that's a different process of making training decisions and on average I think the person. Who simplifies their training starting kind of with that foundation of the scientific method. If you just want to boil this down, you know, to brass tacks, that person gets faster, quicker, for longer than the person who is constantly chasing, uh, you know, different training hacks or supplements um, as they're overwhelmed by all of that input from the internet, YouTube, podcasts, all that kind of stuff.
1: That 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 is so. The, the hacks part it gets me because um, when I was just to be well, real big into golf, and I remember like you know, there's a certain golf club where you can you can cure your slice or your you know your your hook with it, and I remember thinking at the time. I just want to actually cure the slice and the hook instead of trying to get this one club that's supposed to do it because you've still got a fundamental breakdown that's not happening. Uh, Let me ask you a quick question here. Um, I've never heard of this term. Uh, You wrote a little another excerpt called the autotelic cyclist. And I just liked one little comment here. It said, a narrow perspective defines the autotelic cyclist, a rider that appreciates training for its present moment value rather than viewing it as compulsory burden required for future greatness. This is um, possibly the 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 whole concept that all of us are in at this point, yeah. right? I mean, what are you training for? But I've never heard this that, that term autotelic. Explain to me exactly what that is, and then um, how are you dealing with this moment with your clients when there's really nothing to prepare for?
0: Yeah, so this is kind of another part of the book, um, you know, in terms of defining kind of a larger philosophy of training and and kind of some of those mm-hmm. I, I think some of those larger themes that we all, any, any of us that have been writing for a while or even maybe not so long, we all feel those themes. Um, and maybe we've all kind of developed somewhat of our own philosophy about, about training. Um, but we just don't know exactly how that fits into how we should make decisions about how we train. So that kind of goal, um, essentially developing the ability to, uh, you know, to take joy and to enjoy the, 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 the act of training rather than it simply being like, I've got to do this because I'm going to be doing this. Right. And, and when one can, when one can develop that appreciation um, for the bike um, and, and obviously this, you know, this ties into, you know, what a lot of other people have heard about, you know, the importance of the process, you know, you know, that, that process oriented, uh, goals or, you know, a process oriented approach is, is much more successful long term than just having a goal oriented approach. Um, so I think, you know, there are, there are certainly ways to, um, to kind of bake that into your training. And I've noticed over the last 10 years, like a shift in how I try to communicate some of these things where you might be communicating effectively or you might be prescribing effectively the same thing when it comes to an interval target where you might be, let's say I want to prescribe an interval that I, I think might help to improve a writer's lactate threshold, right? So let's say, you know, you might have the same goal, but how might an interval workout look different with that objective in mind? Um, The objective to, to kind of enjoy the process of, uh, the process of training as opposed to it just simply being another brick towards, you know, you
1: know, towards, towards another goal. So. And what, what's kind of your hack for that? Yeah. I mean, I I would say. How do you?
0: Yeah. I, I would say I think, I think the greatest hack for that is to recognize the areas of your writing, um, that have the greatest impact in reducing your rate of perceived exertion, right? So for most of us, that is like, that's going to be a racing context or that's going to be, uh, you know, maybe going after a Strava KOM or or whatever, right? Like those are the types of environments where the, 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 um, what that effort feels like is going to be markedly different than if I said, all right, Tyler, go out and I want you to do 300 Watts for 20 minutes, start your Garmin, go right. It's going to be a totally different experience. And so I think that that's, I would say that's the primary kind of adjustment is to say, um, Where can we kind of impact all of training with this different approach or this different focus to say, um, Hey, here's some, here's some, here's some differences that you might make, right? Here's some, here's some adjustments you might make to your ride. So traditionally people might say, Hey, you know what? If you're going to go out on an endurance ride, you need to ride for four hours. Don't stop. Keep the pedals moving. Whatever you do, don't stop, right? That's going to provide the greatest, you know, physiological benefit to you. Okay. Well, what if, What if that idea of just being on the ride constantly not stopping? What if that sucks? What if that makes me hate training? Right? Right? So
1: hates your chodes. Yeah,
0: right. So again, so so an adjustment might be to say, what does a four-hour ride feel like for you? Like is that a huge goal? Does that does that feel kind of insurmountable to you? What 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 is, you know, so there's different adjustments you might make in kind of progressing up to that goal. But in the intermediate, it might be, hey, you know what? I want you to stop halfway through. I want you to map out the coolest coffee shop in the area. And I want you to pinpoint that on your ride, and I want you to stop at the coffee shop, and I want you to take 15 minutes. Um, you, I, you know, I might also suggest you get a highly caffeinated beverage that might increase your power output, you know, in the second half of the ride. So there's that benefit, right. but maybe just the act of you stopping, and maybe calling your spouse or whatever, checking in with them, and just relaxing, uh, maybe that makes the in, that that entire ride feel different to you, um, and and really feel like. A larger piece of life and what it feels like to have fun on the bike as opposed to here we go four hours got to get it right um so there's obviously a spectrum where at a at a high professional level there might be more times when you have to push that boundary because maybe stopping in the middle of, the, of your ride and 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 relaxing maybe that's not you know contributing to you continuing to get better um so so you know you could cross that bridge when you get there but i think for the most for most of us Um, infusing more enjoyment and presence and that feeling of what we all have felt like when we either just started riding or when we just got a new bike or whatever, Um, it can be done. It can be done to have more fun and to appreciate that training process as opposed to it just being an obligation, uh, you know, to get ready for some criterium coming up.
1: Right. Right. You know, it's so interesting for me as when this whole pandemic started, um, my fitness was, eh, and my my weight. And my weight's been coming down a little bit. I've been, I've been uh, riding more than I. This is almost back to when we were working in 2015 for nationals. And I'm my fitness is coming. I I did a. You say do 20 minutes at 300 watts. I did 40 minutes at 300 watts a few weeks ago out at uh, Mosquito Ridge, which for me is. Uh, I, I'm it's I'm my my real point of this is. I'm i um, riding better and I'm uh, I'm enjoying yeah. it more. But I'm I'm much more consistent. I'm you know got in the middle of the day, boom, do an hour or so. And, and like I was telling John um Novikov, our friend who God rest his leg, yeah. I guess he just went from night side effect. Um, side note, his wife sent my wife a text last night saying, "Oh, she found John's Garmin. He was mountain biking and he went from 19 to zero like immediately." And then my wife responds back, is it too late to reference him as Sonny Bono? I think that might be really insensitive, but that's how the Yankee family You're going to light up Twitter again. Yes, um, <laughs> to the Bono family. But... Uh, <laughs> Anyway, I'm, I'm enjoying my riding, um, and I think it's the ability to do a longer ride, but more efficient because I'm just working from home. Yeah. Maybe this is kind of how you've been doing things. Um, but uh, And I have nothing to go for, but I'm getting fitter and more fit, and I, I'm really enjoying it. Um, okay, let's let's turn away from a few things. Chris sent me some questions he wants to uh, – and, and I know we're getting into it here. Um, let me f- go send these off to you. I'll say them out. Maybe you can do some kind of quick uh, – quick rapid fire answers here. Um, Have you seen a shift toward virtual training from your clients? If so, how do you manage that? Two hours outside, doable. Two hours inside, less doable. Yeah, so this is
0: kind of getting along those same same lines. And this actually gets into another topic of like, I actually think that people that love Zwift, I actually think they're a subspecies of cycling. I'm convinced, I'm convinced, and this is not degrading to those people. I'm just convinced that you have like, you have the cyclist who loves being on Zwift, oftentimes prefers that method of riding over being outside, which holy cow, I cannot make any sense of that. But I think that that is a different person who is maybe more, they kind of have like a gaming DNA, like a gamer DNA. Yeah, yeah. And then I think there's the other person that's like, I, Zwift is great. Hey, whatever, but I will do anything and everything to not be on the trainer. And, yeah. and I think, I think that is, that's like me. That describes me. I haven't been on a trainer in, in a year. Um, and I, anyways, I think that's just interesting. It's like there's, there's a, there's a, there's a distinct shift. And I think you see this in people being on Zwift right now. But anyways, I think to get, to kind of get to the point of that, I think the first question is, is it what is your relationship with riding indoors? Right? So to kind of get back to that same, that same goal of kind of developing this, uh, developing this, this ability or this skill of being an autotelic cyclist is to say, what is your relationship to the trainer? In the same way we might say, what is your relationship to riding in the rain? Or writing when it's cold, or whatever, and that's really the first. That's really the first question. So I've had some athletes. I usually don't believe them, and so I run them through like a test. But they'll say, "Oh yeah, I can do two hours on the trainer. Not a big deal." And whenever someone says that to me, I always think to myself, "That's impossible." Let's do it. Well, no, I don't right. think that. I think I think um, I have run into a couple people that are psycho enough to love being on the trainer, but they're not. They're the exception, right? So I would say that for most people. I think it's better to assess kind of what your relationship is to the trainer and then to always, you know, reduce the overall duration of spending time on the trainer and to basically find that pain point. Like what is the pain point that enables you to continue, Like, like you mentioned, to continue to be consistent because ultimately consistency is the most important thing. And I talk about this in the book where you want to, you know, you want to draw out principles of training. Consistency is for anybody is at the very, very top. I'd rather you be consistent at writing 20 minutes a day on Zwift, then you do a couple two hour bombs and then just hate life so much, right? So the first step is to, is to kind of evaluate your relationship with, with being indoors. And then I would say to dial things back down to say, what is the level that you get on the trainer? And you're like, ah, that's fine. That's good. And that's the level that we want to start at. And then if things change and you're like, man, I, I'm kind of enjoying this. I feel like I could, I could op- open things up and maybe do like an hour, or like maybe do an hour and a half. Then we'd say, "Ah, oh, you sure? Okay, well, let's let's check it out." But to always find that, um, you know, to always find that lowest point that flies under the radar, and that's kind of how my riding has been mm-hmm. for the last two years. Where it's like, I want to find the point where, when I think about my ride the next day, I'm like, "Oh, cool, I'm going to go on a ride," instead of, "Oh." I gotta do blah, 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 blah. Right? So right, right. I think that's the first step is to is to kind of uh see you know, see how and, and the same thing goes with riding in the rain, right? If you say I cannot stand riding in the rain, well then maybe you address what some of those limitations are. Like what's your equipment like? Do you have, you know, do you have you know, and kind of work work from there.
1: Okay. Um this kind of goes into the next one actually. Have you altered your personal approach to riding training due to COVID?
0: I would say Yes, uh, one of the things I have always cherished on my rides is I stop at a gas station.
1: Smell the roses.
0: I oh. d- well, no, I smell the gas.
1: Oh, I know you. You get your Coke and your your well, Snickers it out there. it shifts. It shifts. The, the, the shingles. Yes.
0: Now it has been um, a giant gargantuan apple fritter, which I have trained. Oh. I have trained my gut to be. That is like a carrot to me. I can I can I can devour that, and it fuels my body in the same way that a high quality salad would. I,
1: I had one I had a ginor- one of those big ones out at Apple Hill last yeah. year, and I I got it with the kids, yeah. and it was you know huge, and um, my in laws and other ones were watching me, and I'm like. It's going to eat it. I'm going to eat it all in of one course. sitting because I can't stop. Yeah. Where do you get this fritter on your ride? Um,
0: so uh, the, at some of the gas stations up there in my fi- – what I say is the best riding in the world. Schindel gas Springs. station fritter. Yeah. So they have like local vendors that, that will supply. So anyways, I get a gas station fritter and then I get a, a cup of bad coffee. And then I sit there and I watch people and you know, people will come by and they'll talk about my bike and it's throw you some money yeah, yeah. think
1: you're homeless yeah.
0: so it's one it's really one, it's one of those ritual things that have been one of my one of my favorite things so I've decided that like I don't really think that makes sense like to take to take me and my yeah. contacts from Fair Oaks and then to go up to Shingle Springs so I've cut that out I've cut that out out of my writing so basically I, I stop at a different spot I have to you know I, I actually bought my wife was just horrified by this but I actually bought a, a box of Hostess Donuts on Amazon <laughs> Because again, this is this let me explain, don't judge. This is this is about finding I think this this piece of a bike ride that is enjoyable. For me, I can do a fig bar, but I don't want to do two fig bars. I mean, come on. Like I want like a bad right. donut. And that is fun to me. And I'm in the middle of my ride and I'm like, "Oh god, I'm going to be stopping and I'm going to pound those six little crumbly hostess donuts." And that's fun.
1: The only problem Right, right. And it's, if your body can handle it, because when we've done that ride and you're like, you know, a Coke and a, and a Snickers, yeah. I'm like, I'm all down. Yeah. And then the ride home, I'm just kind of tweaking and it's not right. Yeah. yeah. I used to be a guy, you we talk about donuts. I was telling the kids the other day, I was like, oh, this friend and I in high school, we had coupons. So we went to, it was like a Dunkin' Donuts. We each got two dozen and we yeah. ate them. I threw up that yeah. night, but it was enjoyable. Yeah. so. Um, so, so, that, that, so, so that's been um, the modification, stop
0: riding. And then I would say the other, you know, the, the, the hardest modification for me is not seeing my friends riding on the weekend, right? Like right. So for me, my right. training has kind of been, look, during the week I work from home, but I also provide like, you know, the the um, you know, full on childcare for our kids when, when my wife goes to work as a nurse. And so that's, that, that's my situation right now. And so my riding reflects that. I never do group rides. I can never do group rides. If I do a group ride, it means like I'm not helping bathe my kids. And that's, that doesn't work for me. So that's been the bit, that's been the hardest thing for me. That's where I get my intensity. That's how I dose my intensity. Cause I say, I'm not going to go out and do intervals by myself. That's not going to happen, but I will go out on a group ride and I'll ride as hard as I possibly can. And it'll be fun. So that's been the biggest adjustment. Right.
1: I, I, you know, you, you, tuned me into this a few years ago was just doing TSS. Yeah. So I'm, I pretty much just build everything off of, uh, you know, how much time I have. And, you know, what I've done the last two weekends is I've done Coffee Republic by myself um, and I've thoroughly enjoyed it. It's so stupid, wow. but um, it's, it's I think uh, I would like cry. I went out in the afternoon. I think I would
0: just break down. Oh, yeah.
1: No, it was, um, you know, I, I put a hard effort up ridge. Yeah. And matter of fact, the week before that, some dude jumps on my wheel up uh, Indian oh, Hill. And I just put up a hard, and and I'm like, and I'm ramping it <laughs> yeah. up. And I mean, I ramp it harder and harder. And then we get to the steep section. He starts to come around Ooh. me, and then he sits up like I'm giving up. And I just click, 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 and went through. What a and gift. um, you know,
0: you should have sent him some dumbest.
1: I, I <laughs> should have. Okay, let's go to the yeah. new one here. Uh, any new developments in the future from Training Peaks? New metrics or software that you know. Of?
0: Wow. Well, this is getting into a larger question and a larger project that I've been working on. Um, so I'm actually going to be taking,
1: keep it quick and then we'll come back. You, you come back. We don't, we don't need to touch
0: on that. Um, I'm going to be moving over the last couple of weeks and over this next month, I'm going to be moving all my athletes to a new training platform. Um, and part of that is, uh, is, is some of that frustration that, um, as a coaching tool, um, you know, maybe there hasn't been as much innovation um, there as
1: well, they never added segments like you would always want Yeah. Right? Kind of I like mean, the that's the thing and uh, not that that's holding you yeah. back.
0: But. So, so, uh, so no, I don't know of anything. Um, that's been part of my, part of my frustration. Uh, not, not,
1: do you want to say what the new, the new platform? Yeah. Is? So,
0: so today's plan um, they've been the, you know, official training uh, partner for like a Hans Grove and team Ineos. And so they've been around the game for a while. Um, but I would say, the biggest difference I see with them is that they seem to be much more driven by power and flexibility and customizability in their platform, whereas I think Training Peaks um, has made their wager on the side of simplicity and kind of maybe mass appeal. That's my own take, mm. um, and so that I think, from a coaching perspective, I don't I don't want that. That's not the tool that I want. I want to be able to just constantly be challenged and have to be watching YouTube videos and reading things to learn about how to, you know, utilize more tools to help push me and push my athletes. So that's another conversation. But, um,
1: I just real quick on that. So is that, is it, let's say you train yourself and you've had, uh, training peaks and you're going to want to switch over. Is this a plan that would, um, take your info, kind of like, hey, here's where your fitness is or you're going to have to start from zero if you go to something like that? Um, does that make sense? Like uh, your CTL is, you know, 80 over at Training Peaks. Now you're going to start this new plan. No. Is it? No. It, so – I mean I don't even know if they have anything comparable. They do. Does it, so,
0: so to Training Peaks' credit, you know, they were the originators of concepts like like yeah. uh, Dr. Andrew Coggan, who – Worked with Training Peaks were the originators of concepts like TSS, normalized power, FTP, all that kind of stuff. So to their credit, all the other training platforms have copied, um, or come up with some derivative of those types of metrics because they've become so ubiquitous across cycling kind of jargon. So, so if you were to go to another platform, every single other platform out there has something that, that you would understand as being comparable to whatever it is that, you know, you've been doing in Training Peaks. Gotcha.
1: Yeah. But but to answer my question, if I were to transfer over, is my fitness then at zero no. on the other side? Is it going to take me? No while to no no. You you just, up, you, you just have to import
0: all of your workouts and there's a process to do it. Okay. So oh. so I'm actually work I'm okay. actually working on if, a bunch of if you, screencasts for my athletes to like walk them through it. So yeah, you just export all your data, bring it in the new platform, and then you'd be up and ready.
1: What if you uh do? Would you have to take that off of Training Peaks if you're deleting it off of your no. Garmin?
0: You mean you mean could you still have your data there? And training
1: peak like like hey my Garmin I clear the rides out so where am I going to transport this data over and and no uh, this is getting into the weeds right bit. so
0: so Garmin Garmin basically kind of works as the as the pipeline so you can you know your your ride goes up to Garmin Oh, Garmin Connect exactly so your ride goes up to Garmin Connect and then okay. Garmin Connect is where you can choose where to push do you want to push to training peak stride gotcha
1: gotcha perfect um last question here you've made a shift to less is more with data on rides how is that going and what's that about yeah
0: so that would again go back to that kind of that that same concept of like uh as much data as is helpful I would say that's I would say that's my general uh my general philosophy so kind of like you for me when I do my rides I have a uh, similar to TSS but kilojoules so it's a measure of work so I say hey I want to get 2,000 kilojoules on, on on a three-ish hour ride. That that that's my target, right? So it's kind of like you're 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 really peering at uh, you're, you're peering at your ride from a much larger perspective, as opposed to being there on the ground level, saying right now I am doing 250 watts for two hours. Maintain that intensity, right? For some people in some contexts, that level and that granularity of feedback is helpful for them. For me, right now, where I'm at with my kids and other limitations. That's the last thing I want to do. I want to see the time. I want to know when I need to get back because we're going to be doing something as a family. And then I want to roughly know if I need to pick it up a little bit or if I'm, you know, that's basically the only, uh, the only metric that's really of value to me. It's like, if I look at that and I'm like, something's wrong, right? Like my, my normal kind of work output over a ride like this, I'm totally off that. So for me personally, that's the only thing that's helpful. Again, I think for most athletes, they would be better served by taking that approach to say, what is the most relevant data? Um, what, what is the relevant data to me on this ride? And then setting up their Garmin or their Wahoo in a way to eliminate all those other channels, right? Just like, and again, this kind of gets back to the book about a difference in philosophy is that if you can eliminate the number of channels that you're having to process, I think you're able to execute more effectively. And I think that goes to what you're looking at on your Garmin. I think that goes to what channels you're tuning into, you know, um, in your media consumption or you know, or, or, or social media or, or, or you know, you know, whatever. So, so yeah, for me, um, I love data. I'm constantly learning about new ways to utilize data. This new trap, this new platform that we're, that we're shifting to, it's more complex. It's it's more powerful. It has more analytics, and I love using all of those. And at the same time, if I was working with you. I would say, just go ride for two hours and tell me how you feel. Like, I think that that is a, for most people, um, is a much better approach uh, and and a much better method to begin to develop that love and appreciation of riding and training than is go for two hours, maintain a power output of 200 watts with a cadence between 90 and 110. I think that's a waste of energy for most people.
1: Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. Really interesting, Nate. I really appreciate. It. Hey, where can if people want to sign up with you as a client, get in touch with you? Where do they? Yeah, do so that? you know, I know you're not on social media. <laughs> yeah, but.
0: yeah. So uh, you know, uh, our website or my website is data driven athlete dot and uh, yeah, everything's there. I kind of like that. Just one spot. If you try and find me on Facebook or Instagram, I'm not there. If you try and send me a message on Twitter, I probably won't read it. So, the okay, so that's,
1: that's good to know yeah. so, the website and, and if people want to know a little bit more about Nate done themselves, they can, I think it was episode two. Um, I'll put a link to that as well. Where we talked to you exclusively about kind of your, your whole deal, your, um, your transplant games and any, well, that's those, I'm sure all that stuff's being pushed off. Yeah. Maybe we'll bring you back on and we'll talk about some more of that. Nate. I really appreciate it. I look forward to the book coming out. We're we going to have a, an actual book because, you know, you want to put one of those on your or is it only going to be? No, e-book? no, no. It'll
0: be. Um, Did, yeah, there's a whole bunch of other kind of cool stuff that I want to do in terms of the book design, which is another reason why I want to do it myself. Um, so it, it'll, it'll, be a, it'll be a real book um, and it'll be a really cool real book. It, it, it will not be a. It will be. A, it'll be a really, really cool book looking book.
1: Alright, well yeah. if there's not a picture of you and those stars shorts though. Uh, I, will, I'm be I, I will talk
0: to I will talk to my editor and see if we can maybe get one of those in.
1: <laughs> Bare chested with a shield, yeah, that's what it's I want. fine. All right. Uh, everybody, thank you for tuning in. Episode one hundred and seventy four. Nate, I really appreciate it as always. Love you. Hope things are going well and I uh, hope to see you back on the bike sometime yeah, soon. Me too. All right, take care.